Everybody, welcome to episode 25 of In the Flat Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Keel, joined again by Ben Parker with Jordan Schultz, still out there reporting on assignment. Uh, so today we have a fun podcast plan for you this week with some mailbag questions um, and an interview if yours truly to dive into my college football origin stories. So let's we'll start off with those mailbag questions. So um, let's start with um, this is a fun one I saw kind of floating out there on Twitter. Uh, the best running back you ever seen in college. So um, there's been I don't, again, I think we talk, we've been talking a lot about the best players and I think you can never have a, you know, you can, you can never have a wrong answer here, but Ben, who do you, who, who comes to mind when you think of the best um, running back in college? I got six names. I'm going to rattle them off and then I'm going to talk about one, but before I do, we do miss Jordan. Jordan, whenever you get back, um, we miss you a lot, buddy. And, and those of you who miss Jordan, um, we, we will have him back on soon as regular, regular part of the team. The running backs, uh, the best that I ever saw, not the best ever, best I ever saw, Ron Dane um, at uh, Wisconsin, absolutely loved him. Uh, they loaded the boxes against him, and if he got one hole in the line, he'd break off for 60 yards. Huge guy, abnormally huge for running back. Adrian Peterson at Oklahoma was so smooth. Uh, he could break arm tackles, um, but he was just so smooth. This guy was just a professional runner all the way through. His vision was outstanding. That's why he was so good in the NFL, of course. Um, a name that history has probably forgotten is Rashawn Salam at Colorado. Um, didn't have much of a pro career, to be honest. But when he was playing at Colorado, you talk about a guy who racked up yardage every single week. Rashawn Salam at Colorado. Loved watching him. Of course, Reggie Bush. Everybody knows about Bush. I'm not going to on him for long at all at SoCal. Bush was fantastic. LaDainian Tomlinson, back at, I think it was Texas Christian. You talk about, uh, talk about a guy who would just produce and score touchdowns, unbelievable. He was fantastic. But the one guy I'm going to sit on for a minute is Marshall Falk at San Diego State. When I was a kid, we, we talked about this last week, you know, you watch the, AB, the ABC uh, uh, game of the week at 3.30. Now, we, we didn't get San Diego State games ever. But you're sitting there watching a Big Ten game or an ACC game, and all of a sudden, the highlight comes on of Marshall Falk running for 70 yards, a touchdown. And about 20 minutes later, you get another one for Marshall Falk running for 50 yards and a touchdown. You know, it was kind of like a mythical ghost figure. And, of course, he had a, an amazing NFL career, too, to go along with it. But watching Marshall Falk at San Diego State, he was just untouchable. It was clear that he was destined for the NFL and that he was playing with guys who really couldn't touch him at all. Uh, so, so love all these guys. There's others out there, but Marshall Falk for me was the best I ever watched. Ah, oh, definitely. Like I said, can't have a wrong answer. Those are definitely you know good ones. I, you know, when I thought of this, I honestly thought of, I thought of those names. Um, on top of that, I thought Christian McCaffrey. I just remember him being really disabled to do everything as a running back. You know, catching the football, running the football. Um, Barry Sanders. You know. He was a little, you know, I obviously most of my, my memory of Barry Sanders is highlight films from college, but I just remember, you know, he was the original, like, I, you know, Reggie Bush to me. Um, and it's on that same vein, Herschel Walker. Um, obviously, I was a part of my time as well, but I just remember all the highlights and watching him in, in the pros growing up too. I just, he, you know, he was just someone with that power and just like get to any yardage that he wants. Um, 
the one growing up for me as a kid that I always remember is Jerome Bettis as a Notre Dame fan. Um, you know, just the bus, man. He just burr over people. And, you know, he's just a uh, – he translated really well to the NFL, too. He's just really explosive. But for me, it's it's Reggie Bush. Um, I just remember, man, I hated USC as a Notre Dame fan, which I'll talk a lot about later. But um, this – yeah, he gets – every time he touched the ball, you thought he was gone. He was going to score a touchdown. You know, yep. he could he could do everything again, catch it out of the backfield, run it, kickoff return, punt return, you name it. He was running all crazy on folks. And so yeah, he was the one that always stood out to me is when I think of like the best running backs there. Yeah, one um, thing I'll quickly sorry, one thing I'll mention yeah. about Marshall Falk really quick. That was in an age where uh people didn't throw to the running backs very often. Yeah, yeah. But but in his first two seasons, he didn't catch many passes. In his third year, he, he did. One one reason he did wasn't because they were being innovative. Uh, they were just loading the boxes so much against Marshall Falk that they said, what the heck, let's just send him out in the flats. We'll toss the ball to him out there. <laughs> it's producing a lot of yardage <laughs> that way. So, Yeah, it's sometimes, you know, the most innovative ideas is when you have to have to think of a different one because of the <laughs> opposition. So uh, it's definitely good. Um, I saw this question on the Athletic. And I thought it was interesting. So what would be more surprising to you and Lincoln Riley's um, year one at USC, a seven-win season or a playoff berth? Yeah, I, I think I think you and I are probably going to sit on opposite sides of this, and that's fine. For for me, the surprising thing would be if he gets the playoff first. I, it, we're talking about this season. Now, three years down the road, I have no doubt that Lincoln Riley has the chance to work this team in the title contention. But it's it's hard to do that overnight. And, and we're not talking about having a good season, you know, nine and three. We're talking about being in the 11-12 win category. You have to be so consistent every single week. You, you just you cannot have a week a week off where you just uh, you just can't. And, and Alabama and Georgia and Michigan and all these other teams, Ohio State's and Clemson's, they rarely have a week off. And it's it's very difficult as a first year coach to come in and do that, especially when you know that you have problems on the O line and the D line. Um, so it would surprise me a lot for Lincoln Riley to have USC up there in the top four this year. And it wouldn't surprise me as much for them to have a seven and five season. I, I think they'll be a little bit better than that, but on the spectrum, that's where I would be. I'm actually in agreement. I, I definitely don't think they're going to get to the playoff. Um, it would surprise me if they did. Um, it would anger me if they did, but because um, <laughs> yeah, no. um, that's just like, I feel like they just cheated the system with raiding Oklahoma when they left. So, right. um, but yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of see them in an eight, nine win um game i mean it would have surprised me if they got seven if they only got seven wins because they're they're a young team and they have a lot of missing pieces they still have struggles with the offensive line still have struggles with the defensive line so nothing's going to change there they're not a physical team and they're gonna they might be able to outscore a bunch of teams but they're gonna run into teams like a utah like another dame but they're not gonna be allowed physical so i think that's right. where they're gonna run into problems um so you know i had a good question here that i saw if you were a recruit uh, what would draw you to a school? Would it be their current ability to win? So, for example, they have consistent winning seasons, or would it be the future that they are promising to have? So, like USC, like there's recruits going to USC now because you know Lincoln Riley's there and he's promising they're going to be better than they have been for years past. Or like Texas, every time they get a new head coach, they're going to be better now that they have this new head coach. Or would you go somewhere like um, you know like Alabama, Clemson? Uh, or maybe not even a, something that big, but maybe like a Utah that wins 10, 10 games every season. What would draw you in that chance that you know you're going to be in a program that wins or 
one, you know, you feel like the future is going to be really bright based on what they're doing. You're probably better equipped to answer this than I am because you studied the recruiting so much. But for me, I'd rather go to the, the Alabama or the Ohio State where they've already proven it. Uh, unless the team's just offering me spots to, to play right away. Um, if they're not offering me that chance to just play right off the bat, then I'd rather go somewhere where they've already proven it. Yeah, you know, I think it kind of depends on the recruit. Like certain recruits, they want that instant play in time. So if that's the case, they may go to somewhere where like a USC that's going to have all these open spots. So they're going to be jumping all over that. Um, and then there's some recruits that, you know, they want to go to a program that has that culture built. But in some cases, they want to go somewhere they want to build the culture. They want to be the first. They want to help them get up there, get 10 and 12 wins, because then you're always looked at in history as one of the players that helped build that, you know. So I think it really depends on the, the makeup of the player. Um, some players don't care about any of that. They just want to go to a certain school um, or they want to stay home and their closest home, and, you know, school at home is this particular school. That's where they're going to go. So it's just weird getting to the minor recruit because uh, if I'm thinking of like, if I'm, if I'm like telling my son what to do, I would say, you know, say you're looking at a Utah with 10 wins or you're looking at uh, say, you know, Arizona state has a new coach and they're, they're promising the world. Um, I would say, you know, go to Utah. You're, you're guaranteed to have a good season. They're going to coach you the right way. They're going to develop you, get you there. Yeah. Arizona state could, but it's not proven yet. And then you could end up having a transfer within a year or two and then your whole career is derailed. So that, that would be my suggestion there. If I, if I was a, you know, telling my son in 17 years what to do. So, right. um, you know, with match with March Madness, you know, starting the last couple of weeks here, what, you know, I had an interesting question. Why are elite football schools not generally great in men's basketball and vice versa? Do you think it's just because, the school decides which one they want to put most money in. And that's the reason, or is this certain geological regions? Cause here's one I, I feel is, you know, SEC is normally not as great at basketball, but great in football. And then you have those teams up North are usually not as great at football, but really good at basketball. So is it just a cultural thing, you know, that in the cold months, you could still go out and play basketball or you could find an indoor court to go in and play basketball. Is that all Is that all it comes down to? What do you think? I think you're on the right track with all of that. I don't have any real insight here, but my instincts are there's a couple of things. Number one, I think it's just hard to do. It, it's really hard, no matter how good your university is, to be great at two different major entities. That, that's very difficult to do in the first place. We've only seen, I think, Florida do it and Ohio State do it. Um, and they, they didn't do it for an extended period of time, right? We're talking two or three years. Um, but the other thing is, I, I, I do think it's a commitment. I, I think you just, I think if you're a football school, it's very difficult to still pour all of those resources in the basketball. Um, a lot of times, and, and you, would, you would like to think people would be smarter than this, but they're not. A lot of times the football coach or the athletic director, they decide we're all in on football and basketball will just be whatever it is. I've learned that even people in positions of power often aren't smart enough to think better than that. Like we can all win. Um, and then the same thing in, in, in basketball. We're good at basketball. Why should we pour all of those expensive resources into a football program to get it all the way up there to top? It's just very difficult to do both. But that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see it too. I mean, the, the, those interviews are universities that have some of those 
and both really have really good athletic directors and they really are dedicated to like you said have everyone win um i'm trying to think of a school that like you can count on having good good sports on basketball and football um kind of nobody's really coming to mind i guess at the top it's hard i'm um, like north carolina for a little bit there i mean mac brown coming along he's building that up to be more of a football school on top of having a good basketball program but it's it's definitely it's definitely not easy. I mean, you look at the Dukes of the world; they don't have it. Notre Dame, decent at basketball. I mean, they they just lost in recently in the you know mm-hmm. round of thirty two after a couple wins. Decent at football. So you, I don't think you're ever going to get somebody that's elite at both to like have a chance to win a championship in both. I haven't seen that in a long time. So that's one of those rarities that that when they come up around. So right, it's just interesting to see. Um. Just keep it on March Madness on, uh, you know, keep it on that vein. It, you know, if we did have a tournament with 64 teams, do you think we ever get to the point of having as many up, uh, upsets as the NCAA has? I mean, I think it's totally different, honestly, with, you know, basketball versus football. Um, there's five players. One player could take over for a team, score 60 points, and then knock the other team out, where in football, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to do that. But what do you think? Like, if, if we had – a 64 team or whatever tournament is over a 10 year period, do you think we eventually start getting more upsets or is it going to be like the same four sec teams every single time after the 64 tournament? If we had a 64, there would be a lot more upsets. Yes. We're already starting to see it right now, actually, but I don't think you would see that in say the top four or top five football teams every year. They're basically going to be untouchable no matter what format you use. Yeah. But once you get outside those top five, you're in the top 10, top 15. Yeah, I, I think we're already starting to see kind of a leveling out. Because if you're a recruit, you you can go almost anywhere and be seen on TV every single week. You don't have to worry about whether or not the pros can get film on you. They can through ESPN3 or through YouTube or through whatever. You know, there's a million different ways to get your tape out. We've already seen that leveling off. That's one reason we saw so many of the upsets last year. It was an awesome season. But I don't ever think you'll get to the point where you'll see it in those top four or five programs in, in each season. I, I think they'll be kind of untouchable in, in yeah. a given year. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the – yeah, you're right. You have seen a lot more upsets. I think those four or five are rich teams that get the best recruits. They're going to be very difficult to beat. Yeah, I guess the only thing you could see is that after a couple of weeks of that, um, of those, you know, tournament, you know, it could be more injuries, could be something that happens that causes, you know, more upsets that you, you know, that you wouldn't normally see. Um, so that's, I guess that's probably why you never do. But I guess if you look at like um, the lower divisions and their, their larger tournament playoffs that they do, usually those top teams still come through at the end. So I, I don't think anything will change definitely, but yeah. it just be just an experiment to see one, one year. Um, let's talk about Urban Meyer. I know a couple weeks ago it was announced he was assisting Ohio State with their NIL organization. Um, if you were in charge of an organization, would you put, would you even touch Urban Meyer as part of it, even if you are affiliated with Ohio State? I, I would like to think, and you never know till you're in that spot, right? I would like to think the answer is no, I wouldn't. Now, let, you know, on the one hand, there is some part of Urban Meyer that is brilliant at college football. Absolutely brilliant. We've seen it for a long period of time. But then on the other hand, there's a part of Urban Meyer that, that seems to not be connecting 
uh, seems to be a major disconnect, seems to interfere with his thinking almost. And I don't want to insult him, but there, there seems to be something going on there that that interferes with the logical logical side of life almost. So it, me personally, I wouldn't. Um, but I understand what goes on at the big places. You know, you, you want to win. And, and Urban Meyer's got a lot of connections. Even if he's not coaching, I understand. Boy, he, he'll be able to help with the NIL stuff. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, but, you know, you're going to take a little bit of a PR hit if you do that. Yeah, no, you definitely are. I, I just – I don't think it's worth it. I mean, obviously, he's not going to get a backlash because it's with Ohio State, but I honestly don't see why you would even go that route. It just – it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but, you know, we'll see see what kind of – see what he does there. He'll I think it might be a better spot for him where he stays out of the limelight, just gives right. money or whatever he's going to do. Um right. All right, here's um, you know, our last uh, mailback question here, interesting one. Uh, what is the best school for each key position? Um, for example, if you're a five-star quarterback, five-star running back, tight end, wide receiver, cornerback, so on and so on, you know, what school you know would fit you best? That you know you're gonna get development, and you, it's the best school for your position. So, um, so let's start there. Let's start with um, quarterback. This is the toughest one for me, um, but quarterback. Ben, if you were, you know, five-star quarterback, what's the best spot for you? I'm going to switch it up on you, Tony, but give me a second. Okay. There's a part of me that's tempted to just take Alabama at every single position, right? (laughs) Because they do such a good job developing so many different positions. But let's say you only get to pick Alabama at one spot tonight or one or two spots, and then, you know, you got to pick somebody else. But I always go first. Me and Jordan always go first. Tonight, I'm going to let you take the turn first at each spot. So tell me, quarterback, who would you take first, Tony? You know, it's tough. I would have said Oklahoma before this past year because, I mean, they just, they just push out Heisman Trophy winners every year, it seems like. Um, so maybe that follows USC, but I would have to – I would have wanted to watch and see a little bit. Um, man, I just want to say Alabama, I mean, because they, 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 <laughs> they develop quarterbacks good there. and there. But I, I actually would pick probably Ole Miss just because I trust Lane Kiffin to – to produce me as a quarterback in, in his system and, you know, get the most out of me. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I think he's definitely going to let me throw the ball around as much as I want and be innovative with the offense and people are going to see different sides of me. So I would definitely, definitely go there with, um, with um, Ole Miss. I, and, and I can't argue with that at all. Now, personally, I picked Ohio state with Ryan day, but, they're both innovative. Both places are perfectly willing to develop you as a quarterback and use your strength. So I've got Ohio State with Ron uh, with uh, Ryan Day, but I, I got no arguments with Ole Miss at all. Um, running back, uh, what what school are you sending? Are you if you're a five star running back, where are you going? You know, I think the first team that popped in my mind is Georgia. They they always seem to have really solid running backs. They always get to the league. They have a good offensive line. You know. They don't throw the ball a lot, so you're going to run a lot there. And you have a loaded backfield, so you're not going to be wore down with hits, but you're still going to be seen, and you're going to be developed, and you're going to be drafted by the NFL. Now, I will this first caveats there. I, you know, Georgia's my my answer. I do feel like there's some other schools, like Wisconsin Notre Dame should be getting more five-star running backs. They, they get a lot of four-star running backs that do really well behind those really good offensive lines, but – it's always surprised me why they don't they don't get more than that. Um, I know it's probably like who else go to Wisconsin Notre Dame in the winter time, but um, 
just just think about the holes that they open up. There's been a lot of great run running games for both those teams, and they haven't had the skill that Georgia and those other teams have. But you know, obviously, it would probably go back to Georgia just because they have the track record right now of being like running back you. You're totally right. Wisconsin, Notre Dame, both. It takes a little bit of insight, right, that an 18-year-old or 17-year-old probably doesn't have to think about Wisconsin and Notre Dame. Um, me, personally, this is the place I picked Alabama. Uh, they've had such a long history of developing uh, running backs. Yeah, good one. Even, even before Nick Saban got there, um, they've, they've had a long history of that. So I went with Alabama for, for my, my one Alabama pick here is at running back. Um, I think you had tight end on the list. Yep. Is a spot. I had to get Notre Dame on here somewhere, Ben. So this is this is the spot. So um got Notre Dame here. I just think it is they just chug out NFL tight ends in their system and they use a lot of two and three tight end sets. So if you're a tight end and you're skilled, you're gonna get on the field early and play a lot and learn how to be a blocker. Um, you know, learn a lot a lot of the fastest rubber than just catch the football. You'll you'll be down in the trenches and you know, play on the line. And, and do a lot of different things get involved in a running game and a pass game, everything there. Yeah, and I, I think we're seeing as we go through here, there's more than one right answer for these for these picks here. This one was difficult for me, but I went with Utah. They're sending one tight end to the NFL right now in this year's draft, I think. They've got two more guys who could possibly hit the NFL draft next offseason. So it's a pretty modern answer. But Utah, they're very physical. They do throw the ball to the tight ends. Last year, there were as much as three tight ends on the field at the same time, so they were using them all. Uh, Cam Rising is a guy who, who knows how to get the ball to the tight ends, so uh, that's that's where I would pick for tight end is the University of Utah. Um, this one's interesting to me. Wide receiver. I think there's several good spots, but I'm interested to see where you pick for wide receiver. Yeah, for me, it was Ohio State. Um, they So it was tough for me, though. Now, Ohio State – gets a lot of great recruits in the wide receiver, but I haven't seen them develop them as much as they possibly could. And not a dig at the, the school or anything, but if you look at the the amount of Ohio State wide receivers that are successful in the NFL, it's not a lot. They get a lot there. They don't really – I mean, there's a couple that break through, but not – the amount of, like, top 100 wide receivers that they get on a recruiting basis every year – and the amount that are in the NFL just doesn't really equal each other. So um, that's why I, I struggle with a bit there. I mean, they because they have a good recruiter in Brian Hartland who played at, you know wide receiver in the NFL, so he, he could teach the position well. And they they do a lot of they get production in college, that's for sure. So you'll be seeing you'll get a good yeah. offense that's innovative. So you definitely will get out there. Um, I said, if it was at Ohio State, I probably would have picked USC just because they're always going to have some high flying offense that a wide receiver will, will get to be a play a part in. And usually, those USC wide receivers end up making it to the NFL and playing part in, in, in stuff. And no matter who's the coach, so that would be my, you know, probably one or two choices there. Yeah. I've got Clemson personally. We're looking at, I don't know, probably seven or eight seasons now where they put out NFL wide receivers at the slot position, at the, at the big X and Y positions. Some of them have been outrageously successful. Others of them only average, but they seem to take good care of their wide receivers there, training them up, and they seem to produce at the next level. Um, I think we've got – is it cornerback and linebacker? Is that our final two spots? All right, cornerback, uh, what, what school you got? Yeah, I picked LSU. Um, they've always had really good, the top cornerbacks. But, I mean, obviously it was hard with Brian Kelly now. I don't know if I, if I still have that same choice, but – 
that's just a Notre Dame fan of me, but um, Alabama would have been the ever choice because they always get the the best out of those cornerbacks as well. So I don't think you can go wrong if you're one of those schools because you'll have a chance to play against the top talent in the country. This I, I picked the same same place, LSU. It has been probably 20 years now we've seen dominant, I mean, dominant defensive backs come out of there. And part of that's the talent. But we've seen other schools, like you said, have the talent, not really do a whole lot with it. These guys are heading to the NFL and dominating um, almost no matter who's the coach there. So, uh, yeah, if, if I'm a <laughs> if I'm a DB, I'm coming out of LSU for sure. Um, final one. This was the hardest for me. Uh, linebacker. I just went with Alabama. I, I didn't go a lot with Alabama in this pick. And, I mean, I've, if anybody on the defense, I know Nick Saban will coach him up, develop him, and get him to the NFL, at least give him a chance to get there. So, I would definitely pick uh, Alabama. Okay, and I would have done the same, but uh, under my – only using Alabama once. I went with Georgia here over the past few years. They've done a pretty good job. And I think especially this year, they've done a good job with the um with the linebackers. Any more positions or is that all uh, we could um I mean we could go into O line. So like when I thought of O line, I think of Wisconsin. Um just because I mean they, they always have a good running game and that's all they care about is running and wearing their opponent down. And so you know, plenty of Wisconsin offensive linemen in the NFL too. So they always develop them and get them there. That's yep. for sure. I, I, and I, I, Wisconsin would right at the top of my list. Uh, if we're throwing unusual schools in there, it'd be Iowa. It would yeah. be Minnesota more recently, Arkansas more recently. Um, these are the kind of schools that don't get the best talent, but man, they work them up every year and they send somebody to the NFL almost every year from the O-line. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those smaller schools definitely said probably the majority. I think those highly rated ones, offensive linemen, some of them make it, but a lot of them, this, I think they get too big too quick or, or something where they just are not as productive as those guys that really have to work hard at it and be developed, is at least what I'm seeing in, in recruiting ways, ways there. Uh, yeah. Um, the other one, yeah. Um, the other one was defensive line, and um, just the general. I that was hard. Um, I mean, I, the easy one would have been Alabama, but I tried to think outside the box there. Um, anybody from, um, you know, a, a D line perspective that that could be um, dominant. I so I picked Clemson just because um, the the production they've done over the last five or ten years, well, ten years or so, and and the amount of people they put in the NFL from that um, D line would be the one I would choose. I'm the same way. Clemson, um, half the SEC schools, you know, I, I, I honestly, you know, even Florida, LSU, Texas A&M do a good job with their defensive linemen in most years. Ohio State in most years does a good job with the D-line. So I think there's a lot of places you can go with the D-line myself. So, Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, I think it's always a little discussion, and that changes probably every couple of years where, uh, the you know, it really depends – a lot of times it depends on the school, but then it can also a coach can really hurt it or or help that that it is a five star, which is why you see recruiting kind of dip for some schools when they get certain coaches or or raise when they get certain coaches. So it's always interesting to watch that that kind of recruiting side. Absolutely, there's always a lot to watch. All right, for those of you who've been waiting for it, Tony always interviews everybody else today. We're going to interview Tony, and then if he's got any more after that, we can talk about uh, whatever else he's got. Tony. Um, thank you for joining us today, as always. Yeah, glad to be here, Ben. <laughs> um, for the, if, if anybody left on our podcast doesn't know that Tony's a Notre Dame fan, let me inform you <laughs> that Tony's a Notre Dame fan. Tony, I, 
I do want to know how you got interested in college football, but I especially want to know how you got interested in Notre Dame. Yeah, you know, growing up, I actually fell in love with college football before professional football. Um, I was probably around seven or eight years old and um, didn't have a lot of channels. You know, we didn't have, I don't even know, I guess cable was around then, but I, uh, we, had, we just had a couple of channels. And so NBC was one of those channels. And so Notre Dame was always on TV. And so it always it caught my eye and, it's, and I started watching more and more of it. And then I kind of just fell in love with Notre Dame, the, the team. And my mom and that, that side of the family is from Chicago. So, you know, they always turn on a Notre Dame game because that was a Chicago team, right? So yeah, that's kind of how I just kind of found them and fell in love and just watched them every Saturday. And it's like, couldn't get enough of them. And the season I watched, and I always find this is a funny but and heartbreaking story for me. Is the first season I watched was the season they won the national championship um, in '88, and um, they have not won the national championship since then. So I don't know if I'm a bad luck charm or, or what it is, but I've been waiting, um, you know, many many years for that next national championship. So I'm hoping one day it'll come. Yeah, in Notre Dame, is there a better? And I didn't include this on the questions. Is there a better brand in football than Notre Dame? All things considered. Yeah, I don't think so because it's not just, you know, the brand itself is football and academics and integrity and all that, but they, what they kind of stand for where, you know, the other schools out there like Alabama, really good brand, but you know, it's that almost like, um, you know, that's where you go to play football not really go to school. And so I, I always appreciated brand Notre Dame is, and that's why I always like, you know, if I ever, you know, my kid ever gets to the point where he's a, star player i would really push man you need to check out another game it's great yeah. from an academic point of view great from a football point of view because you never know what happens after you get injured you, what do you have to stand on you know education or just uh you didn't or just getting through a football school and not really graduating yeah. so that's what i always look at you're you're i, I i'm not sure what you're going to say about this but i'm very interested your best memory attached to notre dame and and that could be a moment that you saw them on the field where they were very successful, or that could be a moment that you shared with somebody else as you were just watching the games. But what's your, what's your best memory connected with Notre Dame? Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a few that come to mind. I don't know if there's one in particular, but um, when I was a kid, it was a national championship. That was great. You know, we won national championship. I was like, man, and this is, like, I hope we get to see this every year. Then, you know, that's so hard from there. But um you know, I, I guess after that, you know, memory for me is just all throughout that 12 and 0 season they had in 2012. Um, I had, you know, almost given up hope as a Notre Dame fan. We had had a winning season. We had winning seasons, but it wasn't like any great seasons other than those Charlie Weiss years where we never felt like we were going to win the whole thing. Um, so that 2012 season, we went undefeated. We beat USC, and it was just like, man, it was like we're the number one team in the country. I never thought I would see that again. I just thought it was over. So I just never the elation there. Um, the never one was this, you know, my um, my five year old when he was born. Um, we had the worst season ever. I'm not, I won't talk about the 2016 season, but um, we um, I just remember watching the games of him and um, remember how excited he was. And then my son, I just had he um, he's about one and a half watching the games with them and just like they're they're all fun seeing Notre Dame for the first time like I did so those are definitely the memories that stick out to me Get, getting that next generation in I I haven't yet had the privilege and my kids aren't interested in sports yet but that's got to be special to get the to to share it with another family member that you love when you were a kid 
but then when, when you get to share it with your kid, that's got to be special, right? Yeah, no, it's the best, you know, like my five-year-old doesn't care about football anymore. I mean, he liked it a little bit when he was young, but my, um, my one and a half year old, the whole football season last year, our routine was I would come down and I stand up when I watch the football games, but I guess I get nervous watching the game, whatever, but um, he always wants me to hold them. So I hold them during the whole game. We're just watching it. He's watching the whole thing with me and he loves football, loves throwing the football. So I think I, I think, you know, out of the two, I probably have the a football fan there that, um, you know, I, I kind of interested to, uh, to enjoy all those moments with him as he gets older and, and we can go to games and things like that. Cause uh, that's kind of stuff I, you know, definitely want to, want to be able to do with him. And, you know, you can't get those memories back for sure. Those are just, you know, timeless memories. You can't, they come and go. Now, I don't, I don't want to switch the script too much here, but is there a particular memory for Notre Dame or for college football in general for you that you're like, that was the worst thing. I hope I never see that again or experience that again. Uh, probably the Bush push back in um, 05, 06, whenever that was. <laughs> just because... I swear we had that game. It was fourth and whatever. They threw this crazy pass down the field. USC did. Got down there. Yeah. They pushed the guy in the field, which is a legal play at the time, and right. they won the game. And I was just like, I was sick. And that USC team was like untouchable back then. They were like they were like the Alabama of the, of the time. So thinking sure. that we had them beat, and then we don't have them beat. It was just you know it was just the, the worst feeling as a fan of, of that. You know that that was. Probably that then honestly the the Alabama blowouts have been great in the playoffs, but then hearing all the Twitter comments about this is why you need to join a conference, you don't need to be there. You know, it's just everybody's getting blown up by Alabama, but it seems like we're the only one that takes punishment for it. So that's what I hate too. Well, yeah, interesting you bring that up. I you know where I stand. I would never, if I were Notre Dame, unless the money was just sorry, I'm just putting in my charger here. If I was Notre Dame, I would never join a conference unless the money was just double or triple whatever I could make on my own. But, but how do you feel about it as a Notre Dame fan? Are, are you open to that, or do you like what you guys have there at NBC or whoever would step up for your bidding rights? I, I like what we have. You know, um, and the, the funny thing is, if we were to join a conference, we would get probably double the amount of money we're getting now on NBC. We And AD has came out and said that, but it's just not about the conference thing. It's about keeping our independence, traveling the country, playing all these different schools. Like if we join a conference, we have to give up some of our games. So we would have to give up that Navy game, um, which, you know, we Navy helped us out in the past and we always return that favor. And I just feel like we don't want to give up those types of situations that, that um, historical stuff. Now then it came to the point where, you know, if we don't join a conference, we're not going to even have a, ever have a chance at the playoffs. And obviously we would join a conference, but I think I just like the fact that we can go it around the country. We play the Pac-12, the SEC, ACC, Big Ten. We play everybody. And our schedule is normally one of the toughest year. Now, people make fun of whenever we happen to win a season and the schedule may not be where we fought. And we have all these name brands on our schedule. They just might be having down seasons. I mean, what can we do about that? You right. know, it's, you, can only, you can only control what you can control. But I feel like we always schedule the, the toughest team. We never play FCS opponent. We're the only – I think us and USC are still the only two teams left that have not played the FC, FCS opponent um, on their schedule. So, really? you know, a lot of other teams, that's, they play one a year, and we, we never play any, mm -hmm. but they always play about our schedule. So I, I like the fact that we have that, that flexibility to open it up and really challenge ourselves. And we have some challenging schedules coming up. I mean, next few years we play Texas A&M, Alabama, Ohio State, 
Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how we kind of keep this thing going. Notre Dame has rivals all over the country, <laughs> literally. <laughs> you've got Michigan, you've got Southern Cal. I'm sure it changes every five years. Maybe it doesn't. But for you personally as a Notre Dame fan, who's your most hated rival? Is it from a specific season or does it stay the same no matter what? You know, when I was a kid, it was USC. This, that was a rival. Then that, that push push just maybe hate them even more. Um, but now I, I hate Michigan my, my entire my entire life. So um, <laughs> I don't know if it's Jim Harbaugh or, or what, but just the fact we recruit a lot of the same players too. So there's been okay. some there's been some things where Michigan has recruited a player and it feels like they told him not to decommit or not to say that he's not interested until like the last minute. And then he like pulls a fast one on Notre Dame. This weird stuff like that where they're playing the system, playing games with Notre Dame, which I don't just, I just, I just don't really appreciate. I used to like Michigan growing up. I felt like they were very similar to school to Notre Dame. And, and in a lot of ways they are from an academic point of view and football, but I just don't, I don't like the Michigan man, I guess, the people that come in there. Are just Some of those guys are just really jerks, I guess I would say. And I just, I'm right. not, not a fan. So right now it's Michigan. Ask me at the end of the season if Lincoln Raleigh has that thing turned around, it might be USC <laughs> again. So, Okay. Uh, a couple more questions and I'll wrap it up. I'll let you wrap it up. Um, we know you love college football. That's what you're doing the podcast on. Any, any other sports you love? Well, if it weren't college football, would it be something else? Yeah, you know, um, my, my favorite sports are – my two favorite sports are college football and NBA. And so okay. grew up a big Chicago Bulls fan, um, lived through the Michael Jordan era. So, you know, right. nobody will ever tell me he's not the, the greatest of all time, all these LeBron. And I live in Ohio, so I hear about LeBron all the time. But uh, You're yeah, both, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I grew up – that's what I love. I mean, I – Grew up watching basketball, but I never really had a team. I, I grew up loving Duke because everyone was on TV. Um, I follow Notre Dame basketball, but like and I don't have the love for college basketball that I do for college football. I mean, I ended up going to like Purdue for, for my master's. And so obviously, you know, I follow a little bit of the Purdue programs, college football and basketball. And so I, yeah, I kind of root for them on basketball a bit, but nobody – sticks out like oh man I, I like I, I you know it kills me if they lose type of thing so it's always been Notre Dame and Chicago Bulls are the two teams that I like I, I live and die with and I follow NFL a little bit too Chicago Bears you know I don't like talking about them but they, they're out there um, and they're terrible drafting so someday man someday someday, someday. before I die hopefully that they'll have a Super Bowl in there so well, I'll insert a real quick follow-up question then, and I'll be quick with it. Michael Jordan, what's your favorite moment from, from watching him? You're the, the one that really just you're, you'll never forget. Uh, that final shot against Utah to win the, the sixth championship. Um, right. Probably because I was 18 years old at the time, so I was really invested and like, knew what was happening. He was more smarter to the game. Right. Um, I knew how much he took that game over with the defense and then the offense. Stole the yeah. ball for Carmelone, came down. Yeah hit the game winning shot, six championships, walked off um, into um, retirement there. And so I always, I watched that game at least once a year, just to kind of re reflect on that game and just relive the old days, that's for sure. Sneaking up on Malone and stealing that ball is one of the great forgotten plays that he's ever done. But that set up that shot that followed. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think just watching the last three to four minutes of that game, it just does so much on the offensive defensive end. And he's like, 
played the whole game. He's gassed. So it's why it always kills me these days when NBA players are like taking games off and like playing 50, 60, 70 games. I said the whole 82. And man, in the majority of his career, he was playing 82 games and people were tackling them, clotheslining them and everything, you know? So it's just, it's just, this is a different day and age though. So. <laughs> This is good, but out of time, we're running short. Uh, last question. Um, if you could get any job you wanted in, in this industry, what would it look like? Where would it be? What what really does it for you? It would be doing communications for the University of Notre Dame. So Notre Dame, if you're listening, that would be it. But um, I, I would just love to manage some type of communications events, things like that for Notre Dame. This because I'm passionate about the school. I would love to do it there. But, you know, outside of that, if I'm just, you know, being honest, I think some type of um, – you know, AD, associate AD, something like that, where I can help build up a program, you know, it'd be fun to take a program and like that, you know, maybe need some support and really get in there and manage it up and, and put some resources behind it and, and build it from scratch and really build something, you know, I'm thinking like a school that may be small, but builds itself up to, you know, compete with the big boys. I would love to do something like that just because right. it'd just be fun. I'm a really competitive person. So it'd be fun to take something like that and really build something up to be competitive. It would be, especially if you had just a, just enough resources to get a start, right? If you had some resources, I yeah, that that would be, that would really be fun for Tony, right? Yeah, I mean, especially think like if some booster, like, hey, I have millions of dollars, I want to build this program up. Come help me build this up. Right. That's, I mean, that would be great. Even if we did it and he had to do a little more fundraising and things like that, I mean, that would be fun as well. I always thought about going and doing going in that regard and doing something like that, but. Man, I just hate to start my career over doing something different. It's just a hard, hard swerve to, to make at this point in life. But, you know, it would be something fun to do. Tony, I've enjoyed it. We could talk a bunch more, but thank you for the interview, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Hey, thank you all for joining us. That This kind of wraps up our um, origin story series. So if you guys, if there's anything, um, you know, you guys would like to hit, um, hear from us, any type of interviews, anybody we can go out and reach and, and bring on the podcast, let us know. Um, yeah, well, if we're interested in stories, obviously, you know, with college football, you know, it's about to get to their spring season, but then we'll have a couple months where, you know, we want to really dive into more of the nuances of college football before the season starts. So if you guys are passionate about any topics, feel free to shoot them our way, tag us in post. We'll jump into the conversations and bring them here to the podcast. So until next time, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.